Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stay go running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. You know, NCAA tournament time, it's finally here. We have the brackets in front of us. Yes, they might have been leaked before CBS had a chance to put them out on the air. But still, I'm excited. I am thrilled that the NCAA tournament is finally here. This is my Christmas. This is, you know, my 10th birthday party, however you want to, uh, however you want to phrase it. And I'm even more excited, if you can believe that, to have Ed Fang on the show. Now, Ed's the founder of the Power Rank website. He's written for Bleacher Report, Deadspin, Grantland. He's an expert in analytics. Last year, the site 538, you know, the site that's always telling us about, um, you know, how to be correct when it comes to polling and forecasts. Well, 538 determined that he had the most accurate prediction of NCAA tournament success based on the models that they studied, and those included BPI, Pomeroy, Sagarin. Ed, also the author of the audiobook, How to Win Your NCAA Tournament Pool. So how timely to have him on. And most importantly, Ed Fang and I, well, we both went to high school together, Westchester East in, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Ed, welcome to the Great Boy Podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Ed. I, I definitely want to note that I, of all your guests, I absolutely have the shortest vertical of everyone, so I want to. I'm gonna. I'm pretty sure I will keep that record for as long as you're doing this podcast. You, you know what? For for right now, you you might. Although I don't know, Coach Kevin O'Neill doesn't have the highest vertical anymore. I think he might have when he was coaching, but uh, I think for that reason, uh, you you um, you may not have that distinction. Ed, oh, man. we went to high school together in, in Pennsylvania, obviously, right. and then yep. you, we both went off to college, and, and it had been years since we caught up. So before we get into the audio book and, and uh, just some of your dealings in analytics, why don't you tell me and, and some others about, about your background after you left for college? Yeah, so I went to Rice and uh, down in Houston, Texas. And it was an awesome experience. We had a we had a really good time down there. And I was uh, I was a chemical engineering major, and I was kind of interested in, in doing research. Um, and so I kind of started working in labs, but pretty quickly learned that that wasn't my thing. Uh, I was more interested in the numbers. I was more interested in the mathematics behind it. So so when, when I went to go out to do grad school at Stanford, um, I did in chemical engineering, but I started doing both mathematics. Uh, and doing computation, and it turned out what I studied there was the the perfect background to to understand sports and particularly college basketball. I love it. I love it. So, all right. So then, from there, Ed, you're you're understanding sports. You're understanding college basketball, NFL. You start to dive into. I know you've been filling out brackets for a long time, but. That's right. Yeah. When when was the first year that you actually used what you were learning in the classroom and applied it to filling out a bracket? Yeah, so I mean, what? Um, so 
if, if we can rewind, but maybe 10 years, 12 years ago, maybe it's like 2003, and this is a guy named Ken Pomeroy who's out there doing college basketball stats. And this is well before I, I had ever done any kind of computation. And I wrote some code to fill out my bracket using Ken Palm's numbers. Uh, I think this is maybe one of the first years that he started doing efficiency calculations. And so that was the kind of year everyone stopped inviting me into their pool because <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, so, you know, then I was kind of on my own a little bit. And um, it was 2008. Uh, I had kind of done research. I was uh, doing research at Berkeley, I think, and, you know, it wasn't really working out for me. And But I still had this set of math skills. And then one day I was uh, reading a paper about Google's technology, the PageRank technology that uh, brought chaos to, to web search. So if you, I don't know if you remember web search back in the late 90s, but it was awful. You wouldn't get the right <laughs> answer. And what Google did was brought in this technology that somehow magically found the page that you were looking for, and it's all based on uh, something called PageRank. And it turns out this PageRank was related to my research, and, and it also applied to sports. And so when, when you go to my site and you go to the college basketball rankings, those are a direct result of the algorithm I developed uh, in 2008. So uh, I would say, I guess, the first bracket, I, well, I mean, no one was really inviting me into pools then, so I guess it was more I was putting it on my site, and other people were looking at it, using that to fill out their pools, their brackets. And how much has the algorithm been tweaked since 2008? Yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's always a work in progress. Uh, it's been tweaked a little bit. It's been tweaked much more in, in college football. Um, so, in, uh, so I have an algorithm. It works pretty well. So over from the tournaments between 2002 through 2015, the higher-ranked team in my pre-tournament rankings has won over 71% of games. So that's a pretty good start. Um, you know, you can actually possibly do better. And what I do for college football is I combine a number of predictors. So for I'll, I'll use a college predictor that uses points in games. I'll use another one that uses yards per play. And so that's kind of the next evolution of stuff I'm intending to do for college basketball as well. Um, so uh, I won't get that done, unfortunately, uh, before <laughs> people need to fill out their brackets. So... Uh, you know, I'll try to adjust for that, though, and we can talk about these types of things. I try to adjust for that um, in in the predictions I make because I'm a I'm a firm believer that numbers are only part of the story of making predictions. I think you need to watch basketball games. You need to see how these teams perform. Um, and it, for me, prediction is not just about the numbers. You need to you need to add subjective insight above and beyond that. Well, I think that's what I love about your work in general, Ed, and, and just uh, how interesting some of our discussions have been about right. you know, figuring out who's going to win, who's good, what matters. Right. I think people like to always put those making predictions in a box. It's, it, you know, for a while, it was right. just the stat guys and the non-stat guys, and then it turned into right. you know, the, box, the box names changed, right? It was the purists against you know, the analytics folks. And, uh, you know, the money ball people. And I, I think that there has to be a combination of both. And certainly, as you dive deeper into each of these sports that you're referring to, but certainly with basketball, the professional level in college basketball, any coach now understands the importance of certain statistics, whether it's pace or, you know, points per possession, you know, turnover rate, what have you. Um, 
you know, on a basic level, coaches need to know these these statistics. No longer is this just num- numbers junk. This is something that really, really matters. So I've always found that Absolutely. fascinating with you. Uh, Ed, the one thing that I, that I want to bring up to you is um, when, uh, I want to say 10 years ago, maybe, I used to write for a site called collegehoops.net. And at the time... Mm-hmm. I had put together my own, what I called March Manifesto, based upon more of a field thing. And then I backed it up with statistics. And there were four basic keys that I've sort of stuck with through the years from that. I've, you know, it was my quote unquote algorithm. And I've I've stuck with that, um, but, you know, tweaked it through the years and worked with some other people who put together formulas to try to predict NCAA tournament success. And the four keys for me, for teams that find success in the tournament, this doesn't necessarily mean winning a particular game, but just teams that are going to find success in the tournament. The four things that I found, point guard play. Um, I, over the last decade, almost every uh, last 15 years, I think almost every single one of the uh, starting point guards for the NCAA tournament champion has gone on to play in the NBA. Now, part of that can be because of their exposure that they got during the tournament, but still uh, nearing an NBA caliber point guard. The point guard play is is absolutely critical. A defensive stopper, someone who can block shots and really uh, be a force defensively down low. A go-to scorer. A lot of people think about those guys as being someone that can score you know, in, in clutch situations, but I've always found NCAA tournament, all of a sudden, you know, you've gone on a scoring drought, the crowd's just going for the other team who breaks you out of that slump. And then finally, NBA talent. Uh, teams that win the NBA title, you know, I think it's, I think Syracuse in 2003, I think was the last team that uh, didn't have at least three or four NBA, future NBA players on right. their roster. So, uh, so those yeah, are my absolutely. determining factors. So Ed, for people and we're going to get deeper into the audiobook, but but just on a basic level, when people are looking to fill out the brackets, what are you telling them are some of the first key components they need to check out in order to make some accurate predictions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything for me kind of starts with, with my college basketball rankings, and it's really simple what they do. They take the margin of victory in games and adjust for strength of schedule. And so that's particularly important when you in college basketball where you have obviously a huge disparity in teams so, for instance, uh, a Duke is not going to play the same strength of schedule as a, as a Steve Knapp Austin or, or some of these lower teams. And so what my algorithm does is it makes adjustments for that. So, and, um, you know, we can, we can talk about that in terms of leagues because I think it will be really interesting. It, it tends to, the, these strength of schedule adjustments tend to go against the Pac-12 and tend to go for the Big 12. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's kind of what I'm seeing in my numbers. Um, so... So that's kind of the first thing, you know. Those are these are the numbers that have predicted. Like right now, if you take the numbers today, did that for the last 14 tournaments, the higher ranked team has won over 71 percent of the games. And then above and beyond that, um, there's some tricks. Uh, when you're filling out your bracket, you know the most important thing you need to do is pick a champion because it's just worth so many points. In most scoring systems, it's worth 32 points, whereas you know if you get a five over 12 upset in the first round, it's worth one point. Mm-hmm. So it's to your benefit to be thinking about who the champion is. And um, the other numbers-based advice I have for, for people filling out their bracket is the type of team that you want to pick as champion. And over since 2002, no team that shoots a high rate of three-pointers has won the tournament. Okay, So high rate of turnover simply means you take the number of 
field goal um, you, you look at how many field goal attempts come from three as, from three point range as a function of your total field goal attempts. And we can get into this later, but this this puts kind of a, uh, a warning about picking teams like Villanova and Oklahoma to win the entire bracket. But before you even go on, Ed, I want to before you even go on, I want to ask you about that. Then why do you think that's the case? Yeah, so it's when you shoot a lot of threes, it introduces a high high variance into your um, in, it's it's high variance, right? So when you shoot threes, you can get hot and you can make up any type of deficit and, and win a game. Uh, but when you go cold, you um, when you go cold, you can lose to a much lesser team because you're not making shots. And I, I think we saw that a lot with Oklahoma down the stretch. But um, you know, every team has kind of a range of points that that they score uh, for for every single game. And if you shoot a lot of threes, the the range of points in which you're going to score is a lot bigger. And if you don't take a lot of threes, like in North Carolina, the range of points that you're going to score is is a little bit less. And those are the type of teams that, that tend to do well. So this is certainly not a hard and fast rule. And mm-hmm. a year before I have all the data, a Duke team shot 42% of their shots from three-point range, and they won the tournament. Um, but they also had five future NBA players on that team. So yeah. definitely not a hard and fast rule, but definitely something to look at when you're trying to pick your champion. That and I do very, like very I, really, I, I really do like uh, you know your point guard and uh, you know the the four factors that you have for for champions is something I've I've looked into and I remember asking you about you know a link to the old article that you that you wrote and uh, it certainly points to your 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 credentials as a hoops junkie and oh. I really respect that. Well, thank you. That that means a lot coming from you, Ed. So thank you very much. Um, and and uh, obviously the feeling is mutual. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked you to come on the podcast. Right. Uh, but you know, it, it's funny though because you do look at some of those those factors, uh, both that you mentioned that I mentioned, and and now that we have our bracket in front of us, the the 2016 NCAA tournament bracket. Who are the teams that you're right away looking at that you really seem to like this year? Yeah, so the team I've been talking about over the last week the most is Virginia. Uh, I really like this team for a number of reasons. Uh, so first, they're they're both good. They're good on both sides of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, actually, I think they I think they get all four of your uh, points. Point guard Parentes is a pretty solid point guard. Uh, I mean, everyone on the team is a defensive stopper. You've got Brogdon as your go-to score. And I think you have a bunch of I, – I'm not sure about the NBA talent, but I can see at least Brogdon playing in the NBA, if not Gill and, and some of those other guys. Agree. Um, I like that, you know, they don't back down to anyone athletically. You know, when you, when they play against North Carolina, it's not like uh, you, you feel like there's an athleticism edge for North Carolina when they play. So I like that. They, they play slow. And it's really hard to get them off their game uh, in, in the sense that, you know, a lot of teams, they get down and then, you know, the best player has to be the hero and they start taking low percentage shots. You just don't see that from this Virginia team. So that's certainly one of the teams that I like. Uh, oh, and, and another reason that I like Virginia, and this gets to one of the central themes in my book, is that not a lot of other people, I don't expect a lot of other people to pick Virginia champion in their pool. And this is helpful because if you pick Virginia, not a lot of other people will, and then you get a lot of points, and and you 
greatly increase your chances for winning your pool. So this is the kind of contrarian thinking that is kind of the centerpiece of, of the book. Now, with all that being said, I really, really dislike that Michigan State's in the region, and that kind of puts a damper on <laughs> on the whole thing. Right. Uh, making it to the title game, because Michigan State is, a, is, a, is obviously a very strong team. Ed, how do you balance that out, you know, for, for the people listening to this that are about to fill out their brackets? They're waiting on you just to, you know, they, were, they started to write Virginia all the way through, and then they just had to erase it as soon as you start talking about Michigan State. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's literally what, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the people are on, you know, pins and needles with your every word. But, but how do you balance that out? Because you talk about, you know, with this contrarian mindset, but you also at the right. same time need safe picks because for two reasons. One, as you said, you need to make sure that you have a team that's actually going to win the title game. If they get knocked out early, right. it's a wash. And, and right. secondly, and I've said this for a long time, the NCAA tournament may not figure out who the best team in the country is because of the variables yeah. and because it's small sample size and all that. However, at the same time, it is impossible for a team that's not very good to win six games in a row in this tournament. Right. So you at least have to right. be very good. You may not be the best, but you at least have to be a very good team. And, and I think that's where some of my factors play in. And certainly, obviously, right. your, your algorithm hits on that. So anyway, back to the question, how do you balance out that safe pick with the outlier pick? Yeah, I mean, I think well, in, in terms of uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Or, or, um, well, well, it's the idea that we, you know, are, are people that are filling out their brackets right now. If I'm about to fill out my bracket, you know, and I could say, well, look, I'm going to go with the teams that I think are one seeds or, or the teams that you know, have some of the best numbers attached to them. But what if what you're figuring out from your algorithm, who the best teams are, are somewhat aligned, which I imagine they're pretty close to what the top seedings right. are. People are going to have yeah, those teams as their, as their winner. So how do you find the, the outlier pick? How do you find the team that not oh, oh. everyone else is going to have? Oh, the contrarian choice. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. you consult the data that ESPN publishes. So I'm sure they, they, they have it up. Um, there's, if you go to ESPN and, and I'll find a link for you for, for your listeners, but there's a page where you can look at what everyone's doing. And there's usually millions of brackets that are submitted to ESPN. And so it gives you a pretty good insight into what other people are doing in their pools. So for instance, so you're year, literally, so you're literally at then looking at what people are actually doing, not just what we would think they would do, but you're saying, go check out the data. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, go check out the data. So, for example, like last year, Kentucky entered the season undefeated, had a huge 39% chance to win the tournament, but almost half of the brackets on ESPN has Kentucky as champion. And so that almost immediately tells you you need to fade them. I mean, you can't pick them because if you pick them and they win, then everyone's got those points, and then someone ends up getting lucky, maybe your grandma, Adam, who gets a mm -hmm. couple of dark horse elite eight picks that no one saw coming, and she ends up winning your pool over you. So that's, that's kind of where the contrarian thinking comes from. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes total sense to me. Who, who, else, uh, who else do you like looking around the bracket? Yeah, absolutely. There, I, I, I think Virginia is the team, I think, that has uh, the least flaws in, in my mind, except for the fact that Michigan State uh, is in their region. Uh, we can talk about, mm -hmm. let's talk about North Carolina. So this is a team that obviously has clear talent, 
yes. preseason number one team in the country. And preseason polls are actually very strong predictors of tourney, tournament performance. This is stuff that Nate yeah. Silver has done. Um, the idea here is that a group of sports writers has a very good sense of the talent that a team has. Now, once the once the season starts and, and essentially these sports writers are moving uh, teams up and down based on wins and losses, it tends to lose that predictive ability. But what, what it's saying is, you know, Kansas kind of seems like the, the prohibitive favorite, and I think in the eyes of a lot, a lot of teams. But when you look at the preseason AP poll, you say, well, at the beginning of the season, everyone thought North, North Carolina had the most talent. And, and that's one thing they have going in their favor. Um, another interesting thing that they have going in their favor is I've done some studies about how coaches have outperformed their pre-tourney expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've looked at a number of coaches, and I've looked at both, you know, my rankings at this point in the season. You know, how 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 much do they, uh, a team, a coach in particular, how much does a coach outperform that expectation? And also, how much does a team outperform uh, expectations set by the market, okay, in terms of point spreads? And I did this study because I didn't believe that Tom Izzo was a tournament coach. You know, I didn't think that he elevated his team to a new level in the tournament. I was wrong. The data clearly shows <laughs> that they perform more than, I think, um, a, a point or two on average more better than both the pre-tournament expectations by my numbers and what the markets are saying. But Roy Williams actually has teams since 2002 have actually done even better than Tom Izzo's teams. And I think the numbers, wow. you know, they – they're two and a half points better than uh, both what uh, I think what my pre-turning ratings say. So it was really Roy Williams that the coach that is, is the best tournament coach, which I think is a little surprising. I'm shocked so, by that, uh, actually. Oh, awesome! I'm, I'm glad. To, I'm glad we can. Uh, we can. We can. I can still shock you, Adam. <laughs> um, so, so they have that going in their favor. But when I watch this team play, like I don't. Feel I never feel like they're I, I just don't feel like they're a championship contender. I feel like there's something missing um, in terms of you know they're obviously very athletic. They get on the offensive glass. Uh, they rebound, but you know that's a feel thing that there, there's just something when I watch them play that, that strikes me as you know that maybe someone's going to knock the team off. Um, I don't know. What do you think about what do you think about Star Hill? Well, I think the same thing that you do. And I would say though, that this has been such an odd year and I've, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. It's the first year in recent memory for me in college basketball in which we haven't seen just at least a handful of dominant teams. I don't think we've seen any, you could make the argument for Villanova. They had really no bad losses. um, And really played consistently throughout the season, but I never felt like they were dominant and, certainly proving that not winning the biggies, you know, tournament championship, uh, Kansas and North Carolina, we knew they had talent, but I felt the same way. Something just wasn't right. And no one also has been able to, I think part of being a dominant team is when you do reach the mountaintop and you are number one, are you elevated to a different level of confidence in which we're number one, we're going to beat anyone. Or are you quickly knocked down off the mountaintop? And this has been a year in which, so you sort of find these pretenders as opposed to contenders. And, and I found that this year more than 
any I can remember that that this has been the case. You know, you look back um, last year, just as an example, you talk about everyone talked about Kentucky going wire to wire, but Wisconsin was dominant all year long, had the yep, NBA absolutely. talent um, up front, you know, with with Decker and Kaminsky and Nigel Hayes. And then like you take uh, Duke last year, obviously wins it. And we saw what they had with, you know, with Okafor and, and Jones and, and a lot of, uh, just yep, a, a lot, lot of NBA of- talent. Yeah, and, and, and I just felt like there were loaded teams that were just spanking other teams throughout the year that felt dominant, and I just haven't felt like there's a dominant team. So, so I well, I find and that I, knock I, against – go ahead. Oh, and, and I was just going to point out, like I see that in my numbers. So the top five teams had about 80% of the win probability last year. So you're looking at Kentucky, uh, Duke, Arizona, Wisconsin. Arizona as well. Another team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another team that was very talented last year. Uh, this yeah. year, it's about the top five teams have about 60% of the total win probability to do the, to win the tournament, and I think that just points to the parity of college basketball that you're talking about this year. Certainly, certainly. you know, we, we yeah, we hear we hear we hear in the past that it's top heavy, uh, which is true. The question is, where's the top? You know, that if you were to put teams in tiers in previous years, I would have said that again as the teams you're just listing. You know that those were tier one teams. I don't know that we have a tier one team this year, which I, I was going to ask you about. You know how wide open that makes the tournament, and I'll get to. But to answer your North Carolina question, the other thing for me is this: I look at where they're situated in the in the region, in the East. They've got to play right. the winner of USC and Providence. USC, an extremely athletic team, which I think has multiple pros: uh, Jovanovic, Benny Boatwright, maybe Julian Jacobs. Jordan McLaughlin um, is a guy that's extremely talented at the guard position. They like to get up and down and run. Andy Enfield, who former coach of the Florida Gulf Coast team that made some waves in the NCAA tournament. If they're put in a half-court game, they're not going to be very good. But they'll run with anyone, and they're very athletic, and they have talent. If Providence were to beat USC, obviously everyone knows what what Chris Dunn is is capable of. So I I think one game set up. So just right there, it's treacherous, the winner of that 8-9 game. And then a little further down, what looks like it could be, I mean, there could be upsets, but a second round matchup between Indiana and Kentucky. And this Kentucky right. team, I absolutely love. Tyler Eulis, that NBA point guard we talk mm-hmm. about. Jamal Murray, to me, is as good a college basketball as you'll, player as you'll find anywhere. Just an outstanding scorer, very poised. And their bigs are strong defensively. They don't have a lot of shooters, but what they do have is a group of uh, big men that work well on the pick and roll. They've learned to throw a lot of lobs. They don't have guys they just dump the ball down to and score. So there's some inconsistency there for them offensively. But that Euless murray backcourt has really been rolling, and and Briscoe as well. So I think just in terms of who they could potentially face is what would scare me for North Carolina. And, and Ed, the question that I have heard about Kentucky is, though, as far as that team is – it's so young and the expectations, you know, once again, you talk about a team that top five nationally coming into the season and then people were a little let down because Scalabissier didn't live up to his, his huge expectations as a freshman. But how do you gauge then numbers with a team that's as young as Kentucky is considering we all know that they're a different team now than they were in the first two months of the season? No, absolutely. I think this Kentucky team is very scary. I tried to tweet that at some of my Indiana followers, and they weren't buying it, which I thought was pretty interesting. They were pretty confident, and they kind of liked that second-round matchup. Um, 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, what I do is I actually go back to that, how a team overperforms their pre-tourney expectations. So John Calipari was another coach that actually did better than Izzo in, in my little study of how a team overperforms uh, their pre-tourney expectations. And that has a little bit more of an explanation because he has these very young teams. And mm-hmm. you see that especially two years ago when they were the eighth seed, pulled off that dramatic upset over Wichita State to go to the Sweet 16 and then made a Final Four run. Um, so I think part of the explanation of why Kentucky teams uh, – you know, end up doing better in the tournament is, is just their youth. And you can actually see that in the numbers. Um, and that's so, – so what I do is that would be one of the so-called subjective adjustments that I make. So, you know, in my head, I, I have Kentucky as a 2.4% probability. I know that's too low. And I can make an adjustment that says that should probably be a little bit higher. And maybe they're in the group of four or five, six teams that, that could really win this thing. Hmm. Or, or should at least have the higher probability of, of winning this tournament. Okay, and who are the who are those teams, Ed? Yeah, I, I think Kansas. Um, I it, it's interesting because this is one of the Kansas teams that probably has the least talent of, of a lot mm-hmm. of Bill Self's most recent teams, but they seem to play together really well. Uh, and I'm actually interested to go back and watch some of their games this week before I kind of make the final call on them. But they seem to play together well, obviously. Uh, the first, uh, the top overall seed. They're top in terms of win probability in my numbers at 18.4%. Um, so they're they're definitely a contender. We've talked about North Carolina. Uh, we've talked about Virginia, a team I really like. Oh, Michigan State. Michigan State is an excellent team. Is an excellent tournament coach. Obviously a contender. Uh, I think the markets really like them. I think they had them as the second highest chance of, of, of winning the entire tournament. There's one thing I don't like about Michigan State. And that's mm-hmm. that they're shooting 43% from three on offense. And I know that sounds great. Uh, and, and of course, uh, but, but the thing about a team that shoots that high, and especially for a team that we didn't think would be the greatest three-point shooting team kind of to enter this tournament, is that you expect a little bit of regression in that shooting. Um, you know, Bruce Forbes has just been, just been fantastic. And so, mm-hmm. you know, three-point shooting numbers are notoriously fickle. And if they're shooting regresses a little bit in the tournament, I think that's something that could potentially derail uh, their tournament run. So, again, it's just regression to the mean of – I expect a little regression in their in their three-point shooting, and that's the only thing that worries me about that team. Um, and then, yeah, so those are, you know, those are kind of my main contenders, and I, and I kind of think Kentucky's working their way up into that group. Um, again, this, this is something that I'll probably – go back to the cell and watch some of their games this week to, to figure out exactly where they're at. Um, but that's kind of my, my group right now. Yeah, it's interesting that, that you say that um, because I, I've said to people in the past as well that I think, again, it goes back to that whole idea of winning six in a row, that um, especially this year where the field is wide open and I um, do feel like there aren't those dominant teams, it's still it, – there has to still be a formula that it, that it takes for teams to keep winning games, especially because th- there's so many odd variables and, and there's things you can control. And then there's things beyond your control. For instance, what you can control is, you know, let's say coaching and game preparation as you had weekend to weekend, what you can't control is, 
who you're playing with list right. preparation. And, and to me, that's right. a huge one because then it's the players have to take over. It has to be a lot of what the coach taught the, the players throughout the year because that lack of preparation is different than we would have seen throughout the entire year because let's say, for instance, yep. Texas is going to play North Carolina in a Christmas tournament. Well, the scouting that's going to be done, if you're on you know, Shaka Smart's Texas staff, weeks prior – they are accumulating game tape. They're checking out synergy, you know, they're, whatever. Yep, they're checking absolutely. out statistically. They're figuring out whatever they have to to game plan for a big win against North Carolina. Right. Meanwhile, you could play North Carolina in the second weekend and, and still your kids first have to get through, you know, a number of roadblocks and games before that happens. So the prep time yep. just isn't going to be there. Ed, the one team that, that you and I, I know we already disagree about, because you didn't right. mention them, and because we were having a friendly exchange about it earlier today, is is Oregon. Right. Now, part of this is I've gotten to watch Oregon a lot uh, yeah. throughout this year with, with the Pac-12, and I'll tell you what I like about them, and then you tell me what you don't like. I love their guard play. Casey Benson has one of the highest assisted turnover ratios in the country. He never turns the ball over. Tyler Dorsey, um, you know, is is kind of an X factor. He can be really good. He has potential to score, bring some different things as a freshman guard, but also makes mistakes, a little bit erratic. Dylan Brooks was as good as anyone in the Pac-12 this year. Very strong two guard, plays the three. Uh, he's physical. He defends really well, can score for them. You've got Chris Boucher, who joined the team this year. Dana Altman's done a great job with that club and really gotten these guys to play with a very small bench, unlike his teams in the past. He has few guys who actually get minutes. And Boucher blocks a lot of shots, one of the leading shot blockers in the country. Long arms, tough tough guy to finish against. He's kind of like Manu Bowl because he's long and skinny and right. blocks shots. And then he steps outside and has an unorthodox, you know, three-point shot. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, Elgin Cook is one of the toughest forwards in the country, about as tough as any player you're, you're uh, going to find. Uh, Dwayne Benjamin is another guy that's an X factor. So I feel like, well, they're not technically deep in terms of being, you know, eight or nine guys deep. All of their guys, you know, their their top six guys can really come. They can really play, um, and they bring different things to the table. Defensively, they get after you. And I know you were probably watching the same game that I was actually at Oregon at Stanford when it was their worst two game trip of the year when Oregon lost, right. got crushed by Cal, and then went to Stanford in a game they really needed badly, and you'd think they'd have that killer mentality and run them over, and they, they didn't show up and, and lost yeah. at Stanford. But right. that being said, you know, they didn't lose at home this year. They're a prideful team, and every time it seemed, other than the Stanford game, that they needed a big win, Altman got them to play. Uh, he, he really – brought them to play. They had the number two strength of schedule, number two RPI, and 12 wins against uh, the top 50. So right. convince me why I shouldn't like Oregon to go far in this tournament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? I, I, I really respect that you've seen a lot of their games. I've seen one of their games this year, so I can't really speak to that. And, and I take what you say seriously about, you know, their talent. Um, but, you know, what my numbers are seeing are, are you know, that bad loss at Stanford. Stanford was not a particularly good team this year. And then they got beat pretty bad So by Cal, by 20 points here. So my algorithm is kind of looking at that and saying, you know, if you're really – if you're a top team, you know, you shouldn't be losing by that many points to anyone. Right. Um, what, is their, what is their other losses? Um, I mean, they they lost to Boise State. 
Yeah, that was a close game. At then, Boise uh, State. And they lost by 11 to UNLV. Yes. So, and so I, so the numbers are just seeing that those that the margin of victory in in some of those losses and, and docking them for that. Um, you do mention the RPI. I mean, RPI is 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 kind of is one of the worst things for numbers people because it's not a very good ranking system. And <laughs> I was gonna, so and with Oregon at second is is pretty high, and I think that's that's overstating their team's ability. And my numbers. I have them at I have them at thirteenth. And obviously that they, they took a big jump with the, the big win that they had in the Pac twelve championship game. So it's not that I don't like this Oregon team. I think they're a very good team. I just don't think they're a one seed. And especially one seed over a Michigan State, um, that team that has also been very good this year. And I think Lance, is this really Yeah, go for it. I was just gonna ask you the question about about RPI. You just brought it up. So what is it that um, leads RPI to be so misleading. Yeah. So, so first, it doesn't use margin of victory, and you can show that systems that do not use margin of victory perform much worse than computer systems that do use margin of victory. Uh, I've done some of this work with with college football games, um, but the same thing applies for any sport, basketball, soccer, wherever. So our our mm-hmm. doesn't use more victory, and that's why it tends to not be a good predictor of how teams are. Now, having said that, and and it's a pretty simple algorithm too. And given those two factors, that it doesn't use margin of victory, and it's a pretty simple algorithm. Like I think the results are shockingly good sometimes when I when I actually do look at them. But if you're trying to predict the winner of the NCAA tournament, it's better to use a system that does use margin of victory in games. And, you know, my system does that. Nate Silver looks at about four different systems that all use margin of victory in his prediction. Ken Pomeroy uses efficiency, so that's points per possession. But mm-hmm. he considers, you know, if you have a great efficiency performance in a game, his system accounts for that. So those are the three systems that I think you should look at instead of RPI to fill them out your bracket. I, I guess I shouldn't throw uh, statistics towards a, a guy with your background. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my no, but, first but I mistake. Think I, think, I think it's a good question because, I mean, so many people really follow this RPI. And I remember reading a, a book about these guys that bet on college basketball games. And this guy obviously wasn't doing well. And sometimes during the middle of the season, he developed a, kind of a formula for placing bets that relied on RPI. And, it, I mean, it was just a really funny moment for me because – when you know what I know and what the analytics – not just what I know, but what the analytics community knows, you know that using – like betting based on RPI is not going to lead to increasing your bankroll. Exactly. Exactly. And I have a question for you about the play-in games. Now, <clears throat> since you get to talk we about now Michigan, have – Michigan Wolverines. Well, there you go. I was, I was getting to that. I mean, <laughs> now that you have these extra variables that come into play – how do you essentially before you had you know teams that were completely on the outside looking in that there were teams that weren't going to do any damage in the tournament and now all of a sudden you've got power conference teams playing their way in how do you account for that variable um you know i mean the system just you know the system 
my my ranking system doesn't distinguish between whether Michigan plays in the Big Ten or that uh, St. Mary's plays in the West Coast Conference. Uh, it all it looks at is the set of teams that you played, and and it makes adjustments based on that. So so there's no does that make sense? Like, there's no particular adjustment. Well, that well, no. My I guess my but I but. I get that, Ed. I guess my question to you was more so just in terms of the actual playing game, because now you have, you no longer have just teams from the MEAC or what have you playing right. to to get into the NCAA tournament. I'm saying now with that extra game that you now have to play, so your your right. Vandy Wichita State game or your, your Michigan Tulsa, how uh, are those things then accounted for? Because now it's one extra game that those kinds of teams have oh. to play. But but it doesn't. But that doesn't necessarily rule out the fact no one would be that shocked if Michigan were to beat Tulsa, then beat Notre Dame, and beat West Virginia. I mean that that wouldn't be completely outrageous. Right. But now they would have had to play one extra game. So I was more talking about how the Power Conference teams are now part. The better teams, I should say, are now part of the play-in process. Yeah, I mean when you have that extra game, it obviously decreases your probability of moving forward, just because you know Michigan has. A uh, 49% chance of winning that game. So there's a one half chance that they don't even make that final 64. Um, so that's that's just an ex- extra factor that decreases your chances of moving forward. Does that answer? It? I think that yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I was just wondering how things were different. I didn't know if, if things were different in your formula based upon you know having this playing game with with better teams than it was with just teams that barely made in made it into uh, yeah. into the into the tournament. Um, I'm curious as to how uh, your numbers like Maryland. That's been another team mm-hmm. this year that I think we've seen talent. We know what Mellow Trimble can do. Diamond Stone. Yep. Uh, it's it's a team that Rashid Suleiman. We know they have pieces. There's no doubt about yep. that. They've they've recruited well to Maryland. They've got the talent that's there, and we've seen games in which. Mellow Trimble takes over, and that team looks like they're as good as anyone. And then, of course, yeah. we've seen their letdown games as well. So, what are your take? What's your take on Maryland? Yeah, I mean, even more so than North Carolina, I think Maryland is not the sum of their parts. I completely mm-hmm. agree with you. Just the talent level that you see on that team. I actually really like Robert Carter and, and Diamond Stone too. Um, part of that is because I saw the game against Michigan, and Michigan has basically zero interior defense. <laughs> but you you would expect, I mean, a Maryland team getting a five seed. I mean, this was a preseason top five team, I think. To you know, recognizing that talent, and um, you know, I think I think they're kind of a disappointment. And it's really it, it's a really hard team to predict, right? Because can they get it together? Well, yes, obviously if they can get it together. They can go pretty far. Um, and I and I do like uh, their chances of the first round against South Dakota State. I know everyone loves. Picking 12 is upset, so that's a really bad idea this year. Um, they're they're not good matchups to the 12 seeds. But then you have a, then you have a game against Cal, and that Cal team is really talented, and they really play defense. Um, Cal, I I look at two point field goal percentage for both offense and defense, and then I adjust for strength of schedule. And Cal has the top two point field goal defense in the country. So you're looking at guys like Jalen Brown that play a lot of defense, Ivan Robb blocking shots. Uh, you know, the Cal, Cal is a very talented team. And so, you know, I'm looking at Maryland with a 46% chance to make the Sweet 16, but Cal has a 43% chance. And so I think mm-hmm. that's a really hard draw for Maryland, too. 
So there's a lot of reasons to, to go against the Terrapin. Yeah, and I on that Cal team, I mean, you bring up a great point in terms of talent-wise. Tyrone Wallace is one of the more unique guards in the country, very long for a guard, lefty, um, and can do a lot of different things. He's a, he's a stat, sheet, stat sheet stuffer, um, yep. rebounds the ball really well, plays very good defense. And, uh, yeah, like you talk about, the, the two freshmen. But then Jabari Bird, who's a former McDonald's All-American and can score in a multitude of ways. And Jordan Matthews is a great shooter. Um, they have a spot-up shooter, and, they, and they, they've shown their interior defense is very impressive. Uh, they shut down Jakob Pertl uh, about a month ago. So that's a team that can really do some things. They show their youth and inexperience at times. One thing for people to caution, though, Jalen Brown has been in a shooting slump. If you check the numbers, uh, it's for his last five games, every game he's shooting around 20% or less. So he's really struggled from the field. I think it's partly just pressing because he knows he's a future lottery pick. I love the kid. Right. He's a wonderful kid, and he's got a ton of talent. But just something for people to be aware of. Ed, who are some of your favorite uh, upset picks this year? Uh, so kind of in the early rounds, I'm looking at a lot of these uh, 10 seeds. So uh, okay. you have with about a 65% chance over Oregon State. Sorry for the, the negative on the Pac-12 there. Um, so that's the first round game uh, I'm looking at. Uh, the Syracuse-Dayton game is pretty interesting, too, because I have Syracuse as a favorite, about 57% chance to win that game. Um, I, I think it's really interesting that kind of all the lower seed offsets are concentrated in, on the 10th seed and not at mm-hmm. all on the 12th seed uh, this season. And it's just, it's all, you know, it's all about the matchups that the committee gives us. And in past years, we've seen some really good matchups for 5-12. This year, it's, it's more on the, the 7-10 games. If we're going to see a major upset in the first round, so I would call that anything, let's say, 13th seed or higher, who's, yeah. who's the team that that's going to be? Yeah, I mean, for me looking at for me looking at upsets like that, I try to look at the higher seed that's the most vulnerable. Right. So I try to look for the higher seed that's more more vulnerable. And so now I'm thinking, like a Villanova, if they go cold. Although I mean, they're so good defensively that I just can't see them doing that poorly in a first round game. Um, you know, maybe in Oklahoma, if Buddy Heald goes, um, so uh, maybe in Oklahoma, if Buddy Heald isn't, isn't performing well. Those are those are the type of uh, teams that maybe could lose. Okay. So I guess my, uh, as we're winding this thing down, who's your final four, Ed? Yeah, I like Kansas. I think they have a pretty good region. Um, so, and they're top team in the tournament. One of the top teams in my rankings, I like them to make the final four. Um, when we're looking down here at the West, I think this is a really fascinating region. Um, we talked about Oregon. Uh, the numbers don't like Oregon as much as, as kind of watching the games does. Oklahoma actually has the highest win percentage to come to get out of the Final Four at 68 percent. Uh, excuse me, 38 mm-hmm. percent. But they're also one of these high three-point shooting teams. That Oklahoma is also a team that takes a lot of three-pointers, so that kind of makes them susceptible to upsets. And then you kind of got a Duke team sitting there as a fourth seed. Um, yep. I think it's a really fascinating region. If you're going to press me to it, I'll, I'll pick Oklahoma there as a two seed. Um, 
in the Midwest. You got two very good teams in Virginia, Michigan State. I definitely see those teams competing in the Elite Eight. You know, my numbers are like Virginia, the markets like Michigan State. I think that's kind of a push right there. Um, if you're going to push me to take one of those two teams, I'll take Virginia because I, I, I think they're a slightly better team than Michigan State. And then going up to the east, uh, this is also a really interesting region, um, especially with Kentucky, a team that we already talked about how my numbers might not be capturing their strength at this point in the season with all the youth that they have. But I think North Carolina makes it out of there. Um, and, and makes the top four. Okay, and then is the team that you're picking to win the national championship the same team that you would tell people to pick in their tourney pool? Yeah, I haven't made a final decision on that. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting year that if, I, Kansas has the highest chance to win it all by my numbers at 18.4%, and if I watched the games this week and, and see that they, they're they playing as well as everyone has been saying they are. I think I'd like them as the highest chance of winning the tournament. But when you're in a pool, sometimes if you're in a bigger pool, bigger than about 30 people, sometimes you need to make a contrarian choice. And that's when you would go with a team like Virginia. Um, obviously, first look at the numbers on ESPN or Yahoo and see what other people are picking. But Virginia is probably a pretty good contrarian pick to win the medium-sized pool. All right. And, and Ed, the one thing that you haven't really touched on, uh, which I know is, is a huge piece of advice for you, that, and I know I think it's chapter two in your uh, audio book, the number one thing that people should do in order to try to win an NCAA tournament pool. Can, can you tell them what that is? Yeah. Please, please don't get in the huge pool. I think 100 is the maximum size for a pool that you should get into. And to, to explain why, let me tell you a little story. About last year, one of my readers uh, used my advice and had a, made the contrarian pick of Duke to win the tournament, and Duke won, and he won a pool of size 100 with that. He submitted the exact same bracket to a pool with 1,500 people, and he wrote me an email. I was like, I know you told me not to do this, but I did it anyway. He ended up finishing 14. He ended up finishing 14th. So that there you go. Idea of just the randomness of what happens when you just have that many other people on your pool, and you know they're they're with just that many people, someone's going to get some crazy earlier round picks, Sweet 16 or late Elite Eight picks, and and do better than you. So analytics, it, analytics just can't help you if you're in a pool that big. Ed. Awesome stuff, buddy. Um, people can check you out on the Power Rank website. Yep. Plus, yep. Uh, the Power thepowerrank.com. Your, the yep. your Twitter is at the Power Rank. And how can they find your uh, your audio book? What's the best way to get that? How to win your NCAA tournament pool by Ed Fang? How do they get that? Yeah, the best way to do it is to remember this URL: winpoolbook.com. So that's all one word: winpoolbook.com. And that'll take you to my site and the page that has information about the audiobook. How long is so it? So the audiobook is about it's about fifty-five minutes. So if you have a long commute like I used to in the Bay Area, that's that's one one that's you can listen to it on your way home from work or maybe split it up between the morning and afternoon commute. Um I, I definitely try to keep this short because I know people, especially this week, they don't have a ton of time 
and but they want to win their pool, but they don't want to do 10 hours of research. So this is kind of my answer to that. You know, it's, it's an audio book. It's about an hour. Um, it's uh, it's really for the junkie. Um, when I talk about contrarian strategies, I really I relive the tournaments of, of 2008, 2010, 2012. Um, you know, if you remember back to 2010, that's when Duke won it, but they had to play uh, Butler in the final game, and Gordon Haywood launched that shot from half court that would have beaten Duke had it gone in, hits the backboard, bounces off the rim, and Duke survived. So. I, I really wanted. I really enjoy the basketball junkie aspects of the book. Uh, and when I was making the audio book, those were, you know, by far my favorite parts to, to make the favorite parts to say into the microphone. And uh, you know, I hope for for all the junkies that are your listeners that they'll they'll enjoy that same excitement of reliving those past tournaments. I I absolutely love it, Ed. And and now you've got me excited for some of the past tournaments. And just going based upon my <laughs> own stuff, I know Nolan Smith, NBA. NBA guard, yep. he went on to be. Yep. He sort of split point guard duties with John Shire that year. And on the flip side, Sheldon Mack for Butler um, yep. ended up yeah. being uh, – he's playing for the Jazz right now. So uh, NBA point guards, it's an important factor. I, I hope people take that into account. But, Ed, thank you so much. I, I love all the stuff thank you, you write. And uh, you're the best, buddy. Really appreciate you jumping on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Well, Ed Fang – so excited to get my old friend back on the podcast, just a chance to talk to him a little bit about uh, about analytics and about his expertise. Smart guy, again, founder of the Power Rank website. Check it out, thepowerrank.com. He's written for Bleacher Report, Deadspin, Grantland, and uh, again, 538 last year said that he was the most accurate predictor of NCAA tournament success. So get this audio book. How to Win Your NCAA Tournament Pool. Check it out. It's going to be huge for anyone that's uh, interested in filling out some brackets. Uh, I'm Adam Stanko. You can find me at Naismith Lives. Again, you can find Ed Fang on Twitter at The Power Rank. And uh, as always, really appreciate you listening. And we'll catch you next time.